Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. Being memorable really hinges on understanding how forgetting works in your audience. The research shows that an hour after your presentation, they've forgotten 50% of it, which is so sad for us. A week after our presentation, they've forgotten 90%. And we don't get to choose the 10%. And the only way that you can mess with that forgetting curve is by creating emotional peaks in the audience when you're delivering the material. And... Emotion is directly tied to our memory. Nice. 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 Nice with Dave Delaney. Today's episode is brought to you by Active Campaign. Are you looking for a way to grow your business? Probably, right? Aren't we all? Well, if so, you need to check out Active Campaign. This is a powerful marketing automation platform, and it can help you increase your sales, improve your customer service, and build stronger relationships with your customers. So with Active Campaign, you can create and send email campaigns. You can manage your leads and your customers, create landing pages, and you can set up automated workflows and then track the results. All in one approachable platform. It's no wonder that Active Campaign has over 10,000 five star reviews on. G2 from their happy customers. For example, Preview Me is a B2B software company that uses Active Campaign to send their prospective customers highly visual and personalized emails as they progress through those CRM stages, like completing a demo, which has increased their click through rates 96% while reducing 50% of their admin time sending one off emails. Or maybe you're a consumer brand. Is marketing automation for you? You bet. The Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago integrates Salesforce with ActiveCampaign to automate a thank you email to those who visit the museum. And in doing so, shares a form to gather their feedback. Then that automatically triggers follow-up messages based on the feedback they receive, including returning to the museum for another visit. So if you're serious about growing your business, then you need to check out Active Campaign. Try it today for free and see how it can help you achieve your goals. And for a limited time, Active Campaign is offering our listeners a chance to double your contacts for free when you sign up at activecampaign.com/activate. This means that if your email list has 10,000 contacts, you only need to pay for 5,000 or you can pay for the thousand and get an extra thousand totally free. So let me tell you, additional contacts are like gold within Active Campaign because once you start engaging all those contacts in a personalized way at scale, your subscriber numbers will start to grow dramatically. And it's really easy to hit your contact threshold and therefore not be able to add potential new customers to your list. Now, doubling your contacts gives you a way to get started and not worry about hitting that threshold right away. So go to activecampaign.com slash activate and sign up today.
Welcome to NICE, a podcast all about communication, collaboration, and becoming better leaders. I'm your host, Dave Delaney from futureforth.com, where we help you retain talent, improve culture and communication, so you have happier, more connected teams. Today, I'm speaking with Diana Kander. Diana is a serial entrepreneur who entered the U.S. as a refugee from Ukraine at the age of eight. And today, she's an innovation consultant, a keynote speaker, and a New York Times bestselling author, Diana. And a welcome to Nice. Thank you so much, Dave. Yes, it's awesome to have you here. I always like to start these things with the same question, which is, what is the nicest thing someone has done for you recently? Oh, well, it's funny that you should ask that, Dave, because I came here with a present for you. Ah, something nice, maybe. Okay. I, don't know. I made you a personal jingle. Nice. <laughs> would you like to hear it? I would love to hear it. All right. It's the I am Delaney, it's the thrill of his speech, rising up to the challenge of our conference. And the nice method speaker takes the stage with his might, and he's watching us all with the eye of Delaney. Oh my God, that was incredible. Do you love it? That is the nicest thing I've ever had. <laughs> that is amazing. You have to send me uh, the MP3 so I can uh, of course. add that. Thank you so much. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Who was your, uh, was that your hubby, uh, your your co-singer there? Oh, that's a great question. It's not me singing. Unfortunately. Oh, that's not you no singing. Singing talents. No. Okay. I wish I could do it live for you on air, but I can't. <laughs> I wrote it. Yes. And then I... I have to, I have a group of friends, depending on who's available. Uh, like, Can you sing something for me this week? Nice. Yeah. I should have that. I live in Nashville. Come on. Yeah. You should be able to find some people on the street. Yeah. <laughs> hey, just read these words. Yeah, yes. Yes. Sing this song, will you? Yeah. That makes, that would make sense. Where are you based? I don't know where you're based. I'm in Kansas City, Missouri. Nice. So just up the road or yeah, yeah not too far from Nashville. <laughs> That's super cool. So uh, that is amazing. That was amazing. It totally threw me off, but I sorry loved it. about that. No, I'm here, I'm here to go big. Yes, babe. yes. Let's let's <laughs> let's definitely do that. Definitely do that. No, that was amazing. That was amazing. So I know, like, I know you can juggle, uh huh, and I know you can do handstands. So I'm not disappointed that you're not a singer because <laughs> you ob- obviously already have uh, have some great uh, talents. Tell me about those. Juggling handstands. Yeah. Every year I take on a physical feat that feels impossible to me at the time. And it started about five years ago. I was writing a business book and in the business book, somebody was attempting a 10 minute plank. And I was like, well, I'll try to do that along with the character. I could write about it better. Mm. And it felt impossible. I could do a minute and a half plank at the time. And I was like, but just in case I get it, you know, that would be a, a miracle. And what can't I do if that works? Yeah. And so I ended up using the same curiosity and innovation skill set that I teach to others to achieve a 11 and a half minute plank, Dave. 11 and a half. Wow. Yeah. It wasn't easy. There was a lot of setbacks and uh, a lot of having to unlearn and relearn what I was doing. But mm. And then as soon as I was, I was done, I was like, okay, well, what's next? And so I've had for the last five years a number of goals, into including doing handstands and pull-ups, and this year the splits. Wow, <laughs> that would just scare me. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I could go there. Uh, 
How's it coming along? Are you doing well with it? Are yeah, you able to do it? it's going really well. I mean, okay. it's amazing what human beings can do. You know, I'm over 40 and I was like, I've never done the splits in my life. I could barely sit in a straddle. You know what? Our kids like gymnastics classes. I can barely sit with them as mm. all the parents sit. Yeah. And, but like I can do it now. And it's amazing what you can do when you dedicate some time to it. Does this come from the curiosity muscle? That's your first book. Uh, it, that was my second book, but yeah, yeah. But it's about how to unlearn what you think you need to get to these impossible goals and really uncover blind spots that you might have about them t- to unlock all this growth that's possible. Are you sharing what you're learning along the way uh, somewhere on your blog? Yeah, I, or? Sh- I share updates on my Instagram feed. Mm. Uh, it's, it's too much <laughs> content for LinkedIn, I feel like, to, to post a lot of um, physical feats. Yes. But, but yeah, I try to, at least I very much document my failures and at the very beginning when it looks terrible, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about failure because not to say that <laughs> leading it with this is terrible. Um, but up comedy, let's talk about up comedy and I will talk about my own failures with it. That's what I was getting at. Not you. Uh, but you've been doing up comedy. How long have you been doing that? I mean, I've done it one time. Dave. Only one time. <laughs> I've been wanting to do it since I was 17 years old. Ah. And somebody finally created a safe place for me to do it. It was a sold out show, 260 women in the audience. And I was like, this will be my debut. And I did a six minute set and it was it was very well received. I just signed up to do another one in September. Interesting. I'm, I turned 50, uh, last year. And so I decided finally to do stand up. And so I did six open mics in six weeks, uh, four minute sets and learned a lot about stand up. I mean, it's not completely new to me. I've been studying comedians and, and performance and speakers, of course, through my whole life, but this was my first and, and I've performed and studied improv comedy over the years many times, but it was my first time going into stand up. What brought you into doing stand up? Was it a, yeah. Tell me a little bit about what, what I, led you there? I think a lot of us speakers feel like we want to do it and wonder if we could, mm. you know, it's just the ultimate to make people laugh is, um, and, and to do it at a very high rapid rate, you mm. know, uh, is, is so intriguing. And in a way it's, I'm not saying it's easier than speaking, but when you're speaking, you have to be funny and you have to teach people like really valuable material. Yeah. And here you could just make fun of your spouse, which was most of my, <laughs> set. You, can't, you can't do that in a keynote. So was, uh, did you have like training at all? Like, tell me a little bit about how you prepared for this, because a big thing with stand up comedy is in order to know what's going to work, you need to test material. And that's sure. kind of what sort of in theory, what open mics are for. Uh, but tell me about how you, were you able to test your material or these? Yes. yes. So, okay. Uh, you know, how, how you do anything is how you do everything. And Preparation is the key to being a successful keynote speaker. And so I wrote my set and then I would perform it. I would Zoom individual people and be like, okay, here we go. Mm. And so that was my audience. I did that multiple times and I did it twice with two comedians who then gave me feedback and ideas for other jokes and things that were boring. And so I workshopped it a lot before the actual stand-up 
I like that you found a safe space to do it too, because the my experiences with uh, hitting open mics is you know because you're the new guy you're you're stuck at the end of the night they uh-huh. bump you they bump you to the end of the night when there's nobody there or the audience are primarily comedians who don't care or drunks in the back of the room just talking over you so not the best experience I mean I I, I did I did do well with it and I did enjoy it and I haven't given up on 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 doing this I, I intend to but I think the idea. Uh, I have a friend who did like a a one woman show, which I thought was a pretty great idea as a way to to, you know, perform with comedy and not have to rely on open mic sets. Yeah, I think the open mic venue is just not appropriate for me. I think when you have like a business and you're trying to test the product, you got to go to your target market. And, you know, people who are aspiring stand up comedians were just not my audience. I'm a mom (laughs) who's been married, you know, for 20 years and that's my comedy. It just wouldn't hit with them the same way it did with this audience of 260 women who were like me. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, you know, and, and, and that's certainly a big part of speaking, right? Is knowing your audience. Yeah. And where your content is going to resonate, you know, you don't get, uh, upset if it's not landing with certain audiences, because it might not be for them. Yeah. I, actually, I found after doing those six open six weeks of open mics, um, I had an hour keynote in Denver. I'm based, as I said, in Nashville. So, and I tell you, I like, I wrote about it on, on a blog post that I was elated. I, I was like on a different, I was on a cloud when I was performing. I watched the video after and I'm like, man, I was killing it like everybody was in stitches laughing but they were learning new things and i'm always i always bring a lot of humor into my presentations to begin with but to your point you know you're also teaching people things um it's not just a comedy show and but speaking like having an audience's undivided attention for an hour who paid to see me speak and who flew me there and paid me like versus four minutes of god Kill me, kill me right now, uh, man! It was it was awesome. So I do encourage other speakers listening to, uh, yeah, to experiment with stand up because man, it's uh, it's a whole different thing. I mean, it it certainly helps you think about material and inspires you to be funnier the rest of the time. Mm, yeah, yeah. Do you, have you learned about the uh, laughs per minute? The way to to measure your success yes. as a comedian. Yes. L- LPM. I think Drew, Drew Tarvin uh, taught me that. Yeah. I mean, I thought, I think about that concept all the time. It's got to be punchy. It's got to be fast. It's got to be surprising. Mm. That's amazing. Um, so tell me a little bit about your, your new book, Go Big or Go Home. Clearly uh, you are doing that. Five ways to create <laughs> a customer experience that will close the deal. Yeah. So you know, this book is about how to be memorable when you're pitching ideas, pitching for business, especially when you really care about like this deal and winning. And it's all about how to establish trust and connection in a really fast amount of time. And Mm. you can do that by doing unique things. We give you five different ways to stand out and five tools you can apply to any presentation to make it memorable. And it works for keynotes, it works for business deals. Uh, it works. 
So tell me, so share some of those, uh, what, what, what those uh, secret weapons are. Yeah, so it's all about, you know, being memorable uh-huh. really hinges on understanding how forgetting works in your audience. Mm. So the research shows that an hour after your presentation, they've forgotten 50% of it. Mm-hmm. which is so sad for us. <laughs> a week after our presentation, they've forgotten 90%. Mm. And we don't get to choose the 10% they remember. You know, it's our shoes. It's like a funny tick that we had. It was the lunch that was served that day. Yeah, it, We don't get to pick. And the only way that you can mess with that forgetting curve is by creating emotional peaks in the audience when you're delivering the material. And Emotion is directly tied to our memory. So if you think about your wedding day, you can remember the weather, you can remember every piece of that day because it was so special and emotional for you Mm. versus a month before your wedding day, you have no idea what happened, what the weather was like, what was going on, you know, because no emotion means nothing sticks in your memory. So we have these five tools, ways to create magic. The five tools spell out the word magic um, to create more memory. So I'll, I'll let me let me open up the book here and I'll give you the five tools. They're really short. M, yeah. make it surprising. A, analyze them on a deeper level. G, give the pitch in the right order. I, include 3D objects. And C, co-create together. So let's dig into those. So g- yeah. g- give me some examples from from each each section. Yeah, making it surprising is probably the most important one of all. Mm. You, when we start presentations, people will say to themselves, like, do I know what this is? Have I heard something like this? And if the answer is yes, then they'll immediately go into power save mode and autopilot, meaning they won't remember any of it. Mm. And so if we can add surprise and to let them know, hey, this is going to be a little bit different than anything else you've experienced, then they'll start paying attention. And if we can add those surprises throughout to reset their attention throughout, depending on the length of the presentation, then we'll keep it for the duration of what we have to share. Mm -hmm. So surprise, you know, I started today by bringing you a a little jingle about you Mm -hmm. and the nice method. And that was a different way than any show has started. And maybe your audience is like, you know what, I'm going to pay attention a little bit harder this time. I don't know what else she has around the corner. Yeah. 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 I mean, do you want me to go through each one? We don't, we don't have to go through each one of them, but, um, I, I, I yeah, let's, yeah, let's talk about each one. Um, okay. maybe just like one example, <laughs> one example, and, and getting back to that for just a sec about surprise, um, and being memorable. It reminds me, I had a, a guest on a former podcast who um, sadly passed away, but I had, I included her, Ronnie Bennett is her name and she was on, she's on this show as well. So you can, you can find her. Um, and Ronnie uh, uh, was talking about, she had a, a, a website called Time Passes By, I believe. I think that was the name, but we talked a lot about time and slowing down time. And one way to slow time is to try new things. And the the example she used also was like, and, and, and what you said was reminded me of it, which is you don't remember every summer growing up, but you do remember like maybe the summer you had your first kiss or, or something like that. And that it's the old Don Henley Eagles, you know, that line about summer and being the most memorable summer you ever had. But the idea is by, by having new experiences and trying new things, um, they become, they slow time. 
And so your life doesn't race by when you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. I see synergies in, in what you're explaining as well, which I find really interesting. Well, let me ask you this as a speaker. You know, one of the things we talk about in the book is the importance of the first 30 seconds that you have with the audience. And mm -hmm. we call it the golden window, which is like, really, that's the amount of time that you have for them to decide yeah. whether they're going to pay attention. And so you don't want to go up there and thank all the organizers and talk about the weather or how much you like the city. So I'm curious what you try to do in that golden window time to let them know that it's going to be a different event? I do uh, a couple different things. First of all, uh, one thing I do is is start it with a story. I get right into it. Like I don't, today I'm going to tell you three things. Like I don't do that. I start with a story that's going to get their attention and it's going to be relevant to them. Um, uh, and so I start with a story. The other thing that I do, and I do it throughout presentations, is I'm not a uh, I'm not a fancy pants who just like flies in, delivers a keynote, and leaves right away. I like hanging out and meeting the audience, learning about them, and things like that. And if I get enough time to do that before my presentation, I make notes of a few of the names of the people I spoke with, and and a few bullets about like the specific things we talked about, and I put that on a card, or, or uh, you know, I'll have it uh, accessible. Um, where I can refer back to it. So, for example, I started speaking recently, and Kathy from uh, rural Alabama, I forget where she was from, uh, she taught me a word over lunch, bumfuzzled, which yeah. I, is my new favorite word. And so straight away, uh, I started, and uh, something didn't go quite right. And I was, and I said, oh gosh, I'm bumfuzzled, Kathy. And Kathy starts bawling laughing. Like she's laughing her head off and everybody starts laughing because I'm referring back to her specifically. And so I like to, I like to interweave and bring in examples and reference people in the audience. Yeah. I think those are perfect examples. They are just things that are unexpected hmm. and anything that is unexpected makes us pay attention and anything that makes us laugh. Somebody once told me this great quote, after they laugh, they listen. Mm. And so if you can make people laugh in a speech, they will listen to the next part. Mm -hmm. And so surprise is just a, the most important tool that we have in our toolbox. And actually in the book, I think about uh, laying out your presentation, whether it's a pitch or a keynote or like a speech, um, in a like a graph and do you know dave when politicians debate each other they have on the bottom of the screen like audience reactions to it like this dial that goes up and down have mm. you ever seen that i haven't no well i want you to think about your speech like there's very happy at the top you know you think about the beginning middle and end of your speech as a timeline and then at the top of the line it's very very happy at the bottom of below the line is bored. And then I want you to think about like plotting the emotional graph of your audience during your presentation. Mm. Because a lot of people try to say like, this is how I want my audience to feel when I'm done. But we don't feel anything for an hour. We feel things for split seconds. Mm -hmm. So think about your presentation and when those highs are going to happen, those moments of surprise or whatever else you have, and also when the lulls are going to happen, when you have to tell them something serious or important. And that helps you visually see whether you have too many lulls together, where the highs are going to be, or if you have any highs at mm. all, mm -hmm. you know, and to even check with your audience whether the highs are where you thought they were. 
Yeah, and a big part of that is reading the audience, right? That's right. And just to see if they respond the way that you thought they would to this thing, the story that you thought was great. So anyway, that's how I think about plotting your speech and thinking about it ahead of time. Um, So M, for make it surprising, A, analyze them on a deeper level. You kind of already hit on this, but most, most people, before they present, do demographic research, like how big is this company, the people that I'm speaking to, how long have they been there, how many you know, employees do they have? What do they do? And that is basically addressing your customer, your prospect as a human shaped wallet. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. they are no more than that to you. Mm -hmm. And instead what we can do is psychographic research, which is understanding their values, their beliefs, what they find important, and just basically doing research that other people want. If you want to connect with people in a way that nobody else can, then you do research that nobody else will. Mm -hmm. And so, what you're talking about doing the research beforehand, including it in your speech, that's all part of it. Do you have any other good examples? Depending on the industry, I may use, I may include uh, a quote from like a thought leader in the industry who they recognize. Super smart. Anything else? Uh, (laughs) I'm putting you on the spot here, Dave. Research. Oh, yes. Um, So uh, I always use Google News uh, for the for the city and the company name before the engagement. So what I do is I'll, I'll even just looking at Google News, I'll check local news in that market. So, you know, I might be speaking, you know, it's like I recently spoken Gulf Shores, Alabama. Um, so New York, I mean, there's a million different stories. Gulf Shores, not as many. So you can start to get a feel for like, and if it's a local audience as well, then you can actually mention like, you know, I just heard about, doing it in a totally transparent, honest way, but saying, you know, a pizza place just closed down and man, I love pizza or whatever, (laughs) whatever it is. So you can refer to some local stories, assuming they're, they're good news stories, of course. Oh, that's super cool. I love that. Well, you could see how that connects with people and more than anything, each one of these elements shows them that you care about them, that this Mm -hmm. is not just a transactional thing for you, Right. that you took the time, like, do you know how long I've been walking around my house singing Eye of Delaney? Um, <laughs> like my whole family is doing it now. We did it at dinner last night. And, and it's just me, you know, this isn't just an interview for me. I, I care about it. I took time to watch your mm-hmm. keynote reel, listen to other podcasts. Like I needed to understand you as a person yeah. to be able to create something that resonated with you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing, by the way. <laughs> I really you. love it. Okay. Uh, The third element is G, give the pitch in the right order. Now, this is a mistake that almost all of us fall into when we're presenting in that this is how we usually start. We say, well, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Then I'll tell you about what I do. And then I'll tell you why you should buy from me or listen to me. And the reason that's a problem, Dave, is that they don't care about you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They don't care about you until they believe that you understand their perspective of the world, that you see the world the same way as them, that you have something of value to offer. Mm. So we're wasting a lot of time trying to establish credibility when they're just like thinking about their laundry that they have to pick up and their to-do list and they're not listening. Mm. And instead, if we want them to pay attention and remember us, we start with them. So when it comes to presentations, I feel like you don't talk about your credibility and we, we could have a fun debate about this if you disagree, hmm. like in the first third, you got to come in hot 
offer some value, tell them why they should, they will benefit from what you have to offer. And then the, the credibility is gravy at that point. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. You can't start a meal with gravy. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's not an appetizer. That's right. Hashtag. Yeah. Maybe it's not an appetizer. <laughs> Unless it's with French fries and cheese and cheese curds. <laughs> smart. That's but, so smart. But, but not by itself. A bowl of gravy is not an appetizer. Not at all. And that's what your uh, credibility um, and all your accolades is. Mm-hmm. It, it's, that's how you should think about it. Gravy. Mm. Uh, you know, it's funny, actually, that you mentioned that. I uh, Straight away, I remember this story. Uh, of some college friends, these guys who are idiots. Uh, <laughs> and they went to a bar and they saw some attractive women. Uh, so they or uh, these the uh, they ordered gravy and fr- they they ordered themselves fries and then they ordered gravy for the ladies and they were like showing their fries <laughs> and it was about as successful as starting with gravy. <laughs> oh, I love that story. Uh, tell me, tell me how you think about the order of, you know, how, when you talk about yourself versus when you address them. It's a great question. Uh, um, I, I quite often, maybe too often share my own stories, um, but not in a way, not in a way to like toot my horn, but rather getting uh, honest and open with the audience to share something I experienced. So, so that's kind of how I approach talking about myself. Great. And when do you bring in, like you clearly do a lot of legwork to be relevant to your audience. When, when do you try to, do you, do you think about where in the presentation you talk about that? Yeah. So for example, in the master communicator's secret weapon talk, um, I reveal a secret weapon that can help them improve how they communicate. And I begin with a story of when a clicker uh, that I was given went awry and, and the slides started advancing on their own because the clicker <laughs> the clicker had a built-in timer. Um, but I begin that talk uh, first uh, asking for a show of hands how many people love public speaking. And usually it's, you know, two out of hundreds. Um, and, and then I might share uh, a funny quote or some information about, about public speaking, like why people hate doing it. I think the Jerry Seinfeld quote about, you know, that you'd rather be, uh, what is it that people would rather be, you'd rather be dead in the box than, del- <laughs> than delivering a eulogy, uh, uh, according to the studies anyway. So I, I might mention that. Um, but, but that's kind of how it, sort of unfolds that way. But I, so that way I, I know I want the audience. I, I'm going to share a horror story about speaking and when it went wrong, but I want the audience to feel that emotion. And by, by starting with asking them that question, I've got them thinking about uh, delivering a presentation and that helps to then hammer in why uh, what happened to me was just horrible. Yeah, well, you're doing it to a T, Dave, because you're starting with a question, which immediately is something that's different and surprising, right? Mm-hmm. You're not saying, I'm going to lay out the most important things that you need to do to be a good communicator, like snooze. Mm-hmm. You are engaging them right off the bat, which is the best thing you can do mm-hmm. in that golden window is ask a question, pique their curiosity. 
Um, and then you're not sharing credibility. You're not like, I've been a professional speaker for, you know, here are all my accolades. You're like, let me tell you the, the worst thing that ever happened to me, yeah. which is hilarious. Yeah. And it, you know, it's fun to laugh at other people's pain. That's not gravy, Dave. That's a story that connects with people and, and humanizes you. Yeah, exactly. What about you? What do you do in that? Golden window period? Yes. Um, I, so when I give the curiosity talk, I basically have two talks, one on curiosity and innovation. And in that one, I put up a picture of Snoop Dogg on mm -hmm. the screen mm -hmm. and I say, you know, who is this? And so they get to, you know, they all know. And then I say, <laughs> what is he up to? And then we play this fun game of who really knows Snoop Dogg. <laughs> and, 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 uh, a lot of them don't know the extent to his entrepreneurial empire. So they get to play. And then, uh, you know, I share some of the other interesting things that Snoop does. And then I put up a picture of Vanilla Ice and I say, well, who's this? And like f a lot fewer people know. And then when I say, what's he up to? They have one thing to share. Mm. And <laughs> then we talk about the dichotomy between the two. But now that's a very different experience than what you were thinking was going to happen in Innova innovation talk, if that makes sense. Yeah, that no, makes complete sense. I like it because it resonates with people because it's familiar. I mean, you're talking about two people that people are familiar with, so they know um, it's always uh, it's always new. And, and just about any industry you're delivering that for, Snoop Dogg has a business in. Yes. So you so you have that going for you as well. Um, and then uh, uh, Vanilla, <laughs> my only Vanilla Ice angle is that he's following me on Twitter. hey -oh. And my teenagers laugh their heads off when I showed them this. And so I was in a, a store, like a, like a vintage store. And we found a, my wife, my daughter and I, and we found a vintage, like old uh, vanilla ice doll. And so I took a picture of it and I DM'd him on Twitter, like a private message on Twitter to say, Hey, vanilla, take a look at this. <laughs> and uh, never heard back. <laughs> so I guess he, he thought I was some other, somebody else. You were trying to build on the relationship. I see it. Uh, I see you that's know, super smart. Uh, I was trying. Well, that gets us to the next uh, item on the list, Dave, which yes. is include 3D objects. Mm -hmm. So let me tell you why your vanilla ice doll is so important. Mm. Our sense of sight is directly tied, is in the same part of the brain as memories. And so we all think that we, we learn in different ways. You know, some people prefer audiobooks, some people prefer to read them, but we all remember in the same way. Mm. And that is through our sight and touch. And so if you just have words on a screen versus you have a picture of something on a screen, they'll remember the picture much more. But if you can bring it into the physical world, mm. then they'll remember it, you know, 10x more. Mm. So how can we bring our stories, our experiences into the physical world? How are some ways that you do that? Well, we're not on a video interview right now. I had a whole bag of tricks, Dave, <laughs> prepared, but I'm drinking out of my nice mug that I made for mm. this show. I, I do that on pitches sometimes. I'll make a mug uh, with the logo of the company that I'm talking to, and uh, I, I bring it up in an opportune time. You know, it's a, I combine it with surprise. Mm. Um, one example that I have in the Go Big or Go Home keynote is I have this product uh, which is called the poo trap. And I first <laughs> uh, show the description of the product, just text, just yeah. explaining what it is. And it's basically a harness for your dog that collects poop as the dog goes. Okay. <laughs> and it's, it's even better when I 
you know, say it out loud now than you're just reading it. But then I show the picture of it and it looks like this S&M contraption that your dog is wearing <laughs> with a plastic bag, like it directly attached to their back end. Wow. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I reach into this mysterious bag and I would say, and everybody laughs, you know, and I'm like, see, this picture is much more memorable than the text. And then I reach into this bag that I have on stage and I'm like, look, here it is. And I pull out <laughs> one and I say, I'm going to pass this around. See which one you remember the most. Oh my God. That's amazing. And so when we can bring our ideas into the physical world, it's just, it's more fun. It's more interesting. I have this good friend who's a cancer researcher and he, he does this kind of cancer research where he's trying to get your T cells to fight the cancer on their own. Meaning if what he does works, you don't need chemotherapy, you don't need radiation, like amazing. Mm. Your body attacks the cancer. But when he goes to conferences, everybody there is working on something amazing. Like everybody wants to talk about their thing. So he had another friend of ours make a physical representation of a T cell fighting a cancer cell. And it's this giant blob with like clear icicles coming out of it and lights and he just goes and puts it on a table and turns on the lights and like everybody just comes to him because Mm. it's so different then he gets to tell them about his research and and that's what 3d objects do they create intrigue they're memorable and they they just help us get sticky in the minds of the people that we're talking to okay i find that fascinating and right away made me well first of all i have a i have a question since this is audio only did you say you made a mug i made a mug Daniel. oh my god take a photo of myself in the mug after please. the podcast and send it to you please do i will include that in the show notes <laughs> so everybody can see that thank you for doing that that's really sweet that's amazing and i apologize yeah for <laughs> no, no, this no, audio no only uh medium it's a podcast. yeah um yeah <laughs> i'm like a podcasting purist it's a it's audio um uh, that's amazing. So yeah, I did want to get back to that and make sure I was, I, I didn't misunderstand <laughs> you. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I, it's interesting about producing like you straight away. So I read a very, we were, you know, began, we were talking about stand up comedy and I read a really fascinating article, which I encourage you to check out. Uh, it's in the New York times Find it online because like on, not on your phone, but on like desktop, because the article itself is really neat how it's designed. It really, it's kind of interactive. It's interesting. But the, the, the story of the piece is about how comedians use bottles of water. Hmm. Because as a standup, you have the microphone, a mic stand, a stool, and a bottle of water or a drink. And that's all you get. So you can't bring a bag, unless you're like Carrot Top, you can't bring a bag of treats with you um, in, in a, in a stand up comedy setting. Of course, as a speaker, you can. Um, and the article is really fascinating because straight away I read it and I'm like, oh yeah, that's true. They always have drinks. But yeah. as you read it, you start looking at like, for example, like Jerry Seinfeld always has like a super high end expensive bottle of water to show how classy and rich and, you know, uh, like, yeah, whatever, like how fancy he is. Uh Um, Ricky Gervais usually has a podium and he hides like a naughty boy. He hides his tin, his can of beer under the podium and and kind of slips it up or brings it up or a pint, takes a sip and then hides it back underneath. Um, (laughs) Then you've got like, uh, 
like Robin Williams, who used yeah, to- 18 he, bottles of 18 water. bottles of water. <laughs> yes, yes. You've been studying the greats. It's fascinating. So yeah, it's and, and when you see that, if you've never seen Robin Williams straight away, you're like, buckle up. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're like, what's he going to do with all those bottles of water? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Drink them. Yes, yes. And he's going to earn every drop. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I haven't, I'm trying to think, like I haven't really- experimented with that. I do use my clicker in that story, but of course it's not, I don't do too much with it in, in your example. <laughs> the only thing that I do do, I said do do, and I'm really <laughs> immature. Um, uh, and I stole this idea from uh, Denise Jacobs, who's also an amazing, uh, smart, a great author and speaker. Um, uh and it, it depends on the and uh, depends on the venue and things like that. But um, uh, the audience gets uh, and I actually just posted a clip of this on my Instagram recently. Um, the audience gets a sheet of paper and pens to share, and they are at the beginning to write or at some point near the beginning they are to write down like what is their biggest communication problem at work without naming any personal names or brands, companies, just like what is their challenge. And at the end of the talk, I have what's what I call the communication challenge, which is everybody crumples up the paper into balls and then they throw them into the uh, in front of them. And I usually film it with my phone in slow motion for extra added effect. Um, and so it looks great because you've got hundreds of people of whipping uh, these paper balls. But then, so part of the, like that Q&A part, uh, uh, people in the audience will start to open them up and read what they are. And then I will talk about how you can address that communication problem with my secret weapon. Oh, that's so smart. And so it makes it really engaging and tons of fun because everybody's whipping these pieces of paper. And then uh, I guess the, the cleaners are probably not thrilled. <laughs> well, that's exactly it, Dave. I want people who read this book, especially in this section, mm. I don't want them to ever enter a room without a three-dimensional object again, like a room where they're trying to close a deal or make a pitch. Mm. I want them to think about that. Like, what's my 3D thing? Uh, I've, I've now as a side project like help people find, get jobs, like close their job interviews. Uh -huh. And that's how I want people thinking. Like, what is my three-dimensional object that represents who I am and what I stand for or part of my presentation that I can leave in their hands so that it continues to make the presentation for me after I'm done? I like it. Yeah, actually, I uh, early or not that early, but a few, a number of years ago anyway, I was speaking with another keynote speaker friend, um, and well, I didn't know him very well, but and I was speaking with him and he was giving me some advice and he really helped me with a bunch of different things. Um, and in his book, he talked about how he loves diet Coke and barbecue chips. And so, and he's Canadian. So, uh, so, and I'm in the South where there's tons of different barbecue <laughs> chips. So I packaged, I packaged, I got a, I ordered a diet Coke personalized with his name on it from Coke, which you can do online. And then I, uh, I, and then I, I ordered that for myself, got that, and then put it in a box with a bunch of chips and sent it with a thank you card. So not quite the same as, as in the speaking, uh, like a from no, stage. No, that's exactly it. Like when we send people yeah. gifts and you just wanted to have a better relationship with him. Well, I mean, I appreciated all the uh, the advice and feedback that he gave me. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, sure, yeah, yeah, and that's that's uh, a genius move. Uh, there's a whole section on giving gifts. Uh, we interviewed John Rulin, who's you know the 
chief giftologist. Mm. Uh, he's very good at how to give thoughtful uh, gifts to people. Mm -hmm. And again, it follows this authenticity and connection plan that we set up in the book on how to create more magic in your relationship. So, yeah, I actually have a note on my phone. Um, I don't do it all the time, but when I'm read, I do read a fair amount of nonfiction, like business type books. And if the author mentions like a brand or, or product or something they love, or, or even like a model of a car or whatever, um, I'll make a note of that in my phone so that, uh, you know, if we're meeting up somewhere, I'll make sure to try to try to buy something that that fits uh, that will surprise them uh, ahead of time. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't do it enough, but I do have this long note. Uh, I, you know, I need to get out more. <laughs> well, that is analyzing them on a deeper level, Dave. Mm. You are, you're a magician. You didn't even know it. What about the C? In C is magic? co-create together. And uh, we have this really interesting research. This woman followed a bunch of Hollywood uh, executives around who were being pitched all day long, as well as CEOs. So mm. people that are receiving a high volume of presentations mm -hmm. and which ones were successful. And when you're receiving a lot of presentations, you stop really listening to what people are saying and you want to immediately put them into some kind of a box. Like, oh, this is this kind of a pitch. This is that kind of a pitch. And mm -hmm. as soon as you get into a box, it's hard to get a deal because it you know, mushes with everything else and not even listening to what you're saying. Mm. So the ones that had the most success are the ones that had chunks of the presentation set aside for co-creation. And there's this great Oliver Stone quote in the book that co-creation is an act of seduction. Mm. And that's really how I think about it. When you can make space for the audience or the other person in a pitch to, to give you opportunities to say yes and... You know, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a different way to play that game. Yeah. Then, then you can create something really special together. That's interesting. And, and tapping the yes. And of course, as a, as an improviser myself, uh, that's, that's a big, uh, and it's actually a big part of some of the stuff that I talk about and, and teach others. Tell me a little bit about getting to the pitch. So like your books, you know, it really does a good, good job at, at giving you great ways to, you know, everything we've talked about here to really be impactful and memorable uh, and, and ultimately, you know, hopefully accomplish what we've set out to do. Um, tell me a little bit about like leading up to that, some, maybe some strategies or tips in, in getting in front of the prospect to, to pitch whatever it is that you're pitching. Yeah, I, I really think that this book is a book on how to close the deal. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you think about the funnel of, you know, getting their attention and interest, uh, I, I do think about this book that it serves its main purpose for you're mm -hmm. one of three and here's how you stand out. Yeah. Um, but I do think that you can use these tools to get people's attention. I sh share this story. I have a patented move I call stock and awe that I <laughs> share in the book <laughs> of how to get a meeting with whoever you want to get a meeting with. And um, I was an entrepreneur for a whole decade. Mm -hmm. And I, I read about this big program where the local foundation um, was helping companies go from zero to 100 million in revenue in three years. And I didn't, I didn't have the kind of company that even fit any other parameters. Like that was not going to be possible for me. But I thought if I could just get into the program, I could learn how to make my business better. Mm -hmm. And so I emailed the guy who ran the program and I didn't hear anything back and I called him and left a voicemail and nothing. And 
you know, most people would give up at that point, but uh, I wanted to surprise. So mm. my husband and I, we went on LinkedIn and found everyone we knew who knew somebody who worked at this foundation. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. we didn't know, we knew one person that worked there, but we knew like 30 people who knew someone who worked there. So we called, it's like a big game of telephone. We called our friend to talk to their friend, to talk to this guy, Bo Fishback, at the foundation and tell him to go to lunch with me. <laughs> and uh, I, then I, a, couple, a few weeks after that, I emailed him again and I got an acceptance from his assistant. We picked a restaurant to meet. I was standing there waiting for him in the vestibule of the restaurant. Yeah. And he comes in, this like towering six foot seven guy, and he just goes, who are you? <laughs> because still to this day, people are coming up to me and be like, you should have lunch with Diana Kander. And he's like, I am, I'm doing it. Okay? <laughs> and, and so how do you, you know, when you are trying to communicate with people, what you're doing is showing them what it's gonna be like to work with you. You know, I said at the very beginning, how you do anything is how you do everything. Hmm. So how can you use these tools to to get people's attention? Yeah, you tried doing that with Vanilla Ice. What a great story. Yeah, well, yeah, not as not as successful, but I, <laughs> I tried. But no, I and, and you you raise a really good point in that too. And and I wanted to to point this out for folks. Um, so I've done, you know, I wrote a book about networking and I've I've done presentations and training about networking best practices and doing it the right way. And and I I do a whole training on LinkedIn specifically. And you did something that was very important, which is first of all, smart because you use LinkedIn as a research tool to find, you know, those who know that person. So those second connections in your LinkedIn. But you did something that you mentioned which really stood out to me, which is then you picked up the phone and called them, the people that you know. And or or even email, because a lot of times what happens when people do that is they message them instead of call them. And that person may, especially if it's like a, a leader of a, a large organization, they may not go on LinkedIn that often. So they would never see that message. Um, so the fact that you picked up the phone uh, was was really smart. Good, good know, job. I, I thank you. I, I have a theory, Dave, mm. which is. The easier it is for you to do, the easier it is to ignore. So yeah, yeah. if you're sending an email to 2,000 people, prepare to be ignored. <laughs> <laughs> but if you drive to their house and you say, hey, can you do me a favor? They'll be like, yes, of course. <laughs> so like, find something in between those two extremes. Yeah, yeah. Depending on how much you want them to do the thing. Stock and awe. I, 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 <laughs> hashtag stock and awe. I love that. All right. Well, let's move on to the lightning round of questions here. Uh, man, I feel like we could be, we could do like multiple episodes. Uh, this has been great. Um, so complete this sentence. Nice guys and gals finish. First. I, uh, uh-huh. I believe that, you know, you question it a lot in the world, hmm. um, but it's a much more fun way to live. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, you know, um, yeah. I, when you aren't driven by your competitiveness and you have an attitude that we can all win together, mm. um, it's just a more fun way to live in the world. What's a nice book you recommend the nice makers check out? Oh, uh, well, I talked about John Rulin's book, Giftology. Mm. If you want to give thoughtful gifts to people that you care about, it's a great primer on how to do that well. 
Nice. I'll keep, uh, I'll, I'll make sure to include links to, to everything we're talking about here. Uh, how is Diana nice to herself? Oh, it's a great question. I, I am very nice uh, to <laughs> myself. And it starts every morning when uh, I start my day uh, with a gratitude practice in which uh, I, I watch this TEDx on the science of like how to do gratitude in the morning. Hmm. So I think of three specific people each morning and I thank them for whatever I'm grateful for. Then I think of somebody who's no longer with us and I find something to thank them for. And then I, I think of me, a prior version of me, and I thank myself for a decision that I did or a strength that I had in a difficult moment. And so it's a real fun game of scrolling through all your memory banks to, to find moments each morning. Oh, I love that. I do a, a daily uh, meditation and, mind, and I practice meditation and mindfulness and and I've learned of this, uh, ver- or not version, this type of meditation called uh, metta, where it's it translates to love and kindness, basically. And it's very similar, where you envision somebody uh, in your life, and then you just, you wish them well. And, yeah. and, and you think really great thoughts about them, and you just, you're just wishing them well. And then you choose somebody who you, you don't really know. Like it could be like the cashier at the grocery store and, and, and then wish him or her, uh, well wishes as well. So yeah, it's a, that's a cool, that's a cool practice. I like that. It's um, a nice way to start the day. It is Dave. a nice, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Should have brought the bell. Uh, <laughs> um, what was the Ted talk? Where did you learn that? Or who was the speaker? Do you remember? I can, I can find the link. I've sent it to a lot of people. Yeah, I like um, it. So we can maybe put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you had a billboard, what would it say? Love everybody. I love that. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, how can people get a hold of you? This has been so much fun. Well, uh, they can find me at dianacander.com, but and I'm on LinkedIn a lot. I would love to connect with people there. And Dave, I brought a gift, not just for you, uh-huh. but for your audience as well. Nice. So if they're interested in the book that we talked about today, but they don't want to buy it, I would love to give them a copy for free. Mm. All they have to do is email me. I'm Diana at dianacander.com and tell me why they want the book. And I will gladly send them a digital copy for free. Nice. That's very, very nice of you. Thank you for <laughs> Thank doing you. that. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'll, again, include links to, to everything we talked about today, plus our jingle, <laughs> plus uh, the photo of the mug as well, and uh, and everything else. This has been so much fun, Diana. Thank you so much. Do you want me to take you out, take us out with the jingle, Dave? Yeah, let's do it. All right. It's the eye of Delaney. It's the thrill of his speech. Rising up to the challenge of our conference. And the nice method speaker takes the stage with his might. And he's watching us all with the eye of Delaney. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show today. Would you do me a favor? Leave a review. The reviews help others discover the show and they mean a lot to me, so I would appreciate that. Did you know I am often hired as a keynote speaker for company retreats or for conferences? To find out more about that, you can visit davedelaneyspeaks.com. Music by Alistair Crystal at alistaircrystal.ca. We'll see you next time. And be nice.